You're listening to the EVs for Everyone podcast. My name is Elena Ciccatelli, an award-winning automotive executive, and I'm so excited to introduce you to some of the most dynamic thought leaders the EV economy has to offer. Listen in on honest conversations I have with the leading electric vehicle experts and uncover critical insights that will help you jump ahead and stay there. The electrification race is officially on, and these conversations have never been more important. So whether you're an automotive executive or just an EV enthusiast, this is the podcast for you. Let's get started. JT Taylor, how are you this afternoon? Thank you so much for joining me. Elena, it's great to see you again via virtual reality here, but it's uh, always great to exchange ideas, thoughts, and discussions with you on the things that you are very well informed on, and thank you for what you do for our business. Oh, no, thank you, JT. I am so glad you had Just a a little bit of time in your day today to talk about EV, dealership, buy, sell, all things automotive. So you are the perfect person to have this conversation with. So just to bring the listeners up to speed, if they do not know you already, I don't know who doesn't know you. I mean, there may be like two people out there that don't know you, but just to bring everyone up to speed, tell us a little bit more about what you're working on today and a little bit about your background. But by background, I'm one of the few people that you're going to meet, Elena, that always wanted to be in the car business professionally and and as a hobby. But it's been great to my family. Started off right out of college with a small engineering firm, got an opportunity to go from there. And there was Detroit to the West Coast of California. And uh, I had been asked to interview and uh, received an opportunity to be what became the third person in the Lexus payroll. And uh, it was great to be part of that process. And you learn a lot. And it's exciting for car people to be involved in something that's new. And back then it was. And we got, I got to be party to the launch of the product. And then was asked to take a role on the Toyota division side. And I got into the field sales organization back in the Midwest and discovered that uh, the dealer world was the world that eventually I wanted to arrive in. In the mid-90s, I got to do that. And it was a fantastic opportunity for me to be involved with automotive retail. And I did that for the most of my career. Intermittently had opportunities to help other people with their businesses. But as you know, you know, this is an industry that we all tend to know each other. And when I say we, it's the folks that are, you know, either very involved in the granular parts of the business, making things happen on a day-to-day basis. Also the strategic thinkers that are out there seeing where things are going, trying to identify trends, build businesses that maximize those opportunities that are presented by those trends. And it's been a pretty exciting time to be in the car business, albeit it's been more than three decades that I've been able to enjoy it. And in the meantime, my wife and I have raised six children, all married and educated, had a great family. Uh, We live in South Florida, where we've been since the late 90s. And uh, that's kind of been my pivot point, launching point for when we're out there traveling and visiting with clients. Today, I'm in the investment banking world, been in the finance world since 2014, and always around automotive, whether that's automotive retail, automotive technology, automotive finance. And today it's with Truist Securities, the investment bank that's wholly owned by Truist Bank. We have an automotive investment banking practice that covers all of the public companies and activities in and around the car business, as well as we provide merger and acquisition services, M&A, buy-sells for auto dealers and related companies. That's a great focus of our practice. It's uh, obviously something that's very meaningful to most of my friends that have been uh, lifers in the business as auto dealers. 
And let me say something that's a little self-serving, having been part of the cadre before. In my heart, I consider that auto dealers are the fabric of the American entrepreneurial culture. They operate these incredibly granular local businesses, but still maintain this sophisticated relationship with the franchisor, these manufacturers that are global companies. At the same time, they're serving the families that are involved in their businesses, as well as their local communities. They are typically involved at the state level with government and regulations. As we all know, they are very regulated businesses, but they're also highly profitable, operated the right way. You know, consumers consider auto dealers sometimes like a dentist, sometimes like their best friend. I say dentist because some of my best friends are dentists. I I, I use it in a kind way because we only go see a dentist typically when we have a problem, right? The um, car dealers uh, kind of have graduated from that part of the stereotypical white belt, white shoe, plaid coat, if I could, would you kind of salesperson to uh, trusted advisors on transportation. And I think that's where our franchise auto system absolutely excels. Uh, Yes, it is a 110-year-old business model, but it's one that's not just thoroughly vetted. It's been thoroughly successful throughout that time period. And quite often, when we look to times when the United States was in a tough place economically, it was the automobile business that led us into better times. That continues. Mobility, as you know, Elena, you're right in the heart of it. You've really embraced it and you you stay on top of the things that are important in these changes. Mobility is a big deal. And for an American, frankly, most folks, you know, are kind of born with this innate right to get from point A to point B whenever, however, and however frequently they want to do it. It's legitimately unique globally. And, you know, where else can a 16-year-old person is licensed to operate a motor vehicle anywhere they want to go, has the opportunity to buy it. Not only if they can buy it, they can also get their own insurance, have a job to be able to provide them income to maintain it and gas it. It's unique. And it is definitely our culture. We're very familiar with the phrase agriculture because we all have to eat. In our team meetings, we talk about mobile culture because Americans, we all have to move. Mobile culture. Well, first of all, JT, I love your story. Your story is epic. And what you do at Truist is also epic. But mobile culture, can that be like the new like hot phrase that we all use? Explain a little bit more about that because I'm intrigued. I think when we take a look at our lives and how they are conducted and how they're managed and where the efficiencies lie, there's almost always an element of being able to get from point A to point B, like we said before. But then it's not just point A to point B. There's typically many stops in between there. And our lives are one big triptych. You know, it's just the itinerary that we follow almost always is us being able to move. And, and frankly, the number one reason someone can't get a job is because they don't have a car. They don't have, they don't have reliable transportation. So it's an impediment to the American dream if you can't take advantage of what we have here in the United States. So I think that um, it's so ingrained in our culture. It also should be ingrained in how we look at the overall goodness of how it could be, right? When mobility is at its best, how is it serving everybody? Dealers, governmental agencies all have a certain look at this and they think there's different approaches to it. But the reality is, if there are affordable, meaningful ways for folks to be able to provide themselves personal transportation, they have a leg up on success in the United States. And um, I truly believe that auto dealers are the best to serve that. And, um, you know, at Truist, we really are a car bank. We love the dealer model and love dealers. 
and we're there to support them while they try to endeavor to improve mobile culture in their particular communities. Absolutely. That was an amazing segue into the EV portion of the conversation, right, where we're talking about hey, this is a different propulsion method, right? We're not talking about ICE vehicles, we're talking about electric vehicles. And as you know, a lot of the OEMs have put in significant investment into electric vehicles, bringing them mainstream for GM. So I would love your opinion and your perception of this, JT, which is how are some of these new programs, these new EV programs by the OEMs, how is that affecting dealership buy-sells. I know you're in that world day in and day out. What are you seeing? Well, it's a reality today. I think we all have bought into the prospective promise of EVs providing us a twofold advantage, cleaner or rather, we hope overall, but cleaner as an operating unit than a internal combustion engine today. And then also the promise of them being more affordable from an ownership and usage standpoint sometime in the near future. So both those things haven't been completely answered yet, but they're here and they're upon us. And the manufacturers are invested greatly because they believe that the technology is there, that eventually those things are going to be realities. So how do we provide that for everybody? Well, let's go ahead and mandate to it one shape or form what brands are going to lead that. You know, if we're going to invest as a manufacturer into developing products, Brand is important within these manufacturers' portfolios, and they're laying it out. So the dealers have to respond to that because their franchises are aligned by brand. So if I'm a Buick dealer and I look at Buick, which, by the way, globally is a you know pretty powerful brand, in the U.S., not so much. I really take a hard look at this mandate about are you all in on EV or not because the Buick Electra is coming back, and that's cool. but If I'm in by what's my competitive set, how many Buick dealers are in my market? How big is my market? Am I willing to make that kind of investment? So when you talk about that, that becomes a modifier for the future. Is the value going to be there if I continue to pursue it? Ford has a little different approach. You know, I think it's two thirds of their dealers have signed up for some shape or form of being an EV dealer in the future. That's probably not a great percentage. Certainly that may have been expected by the division. I don't know. But I do think that if EVs become as popular as ICE powered vehicles, then we will likely see a disparate value attached to Ford dealers who are EV accredited by Ford Motor Company. Uh, It's a different business model. It looks like it's going to be one that's going to be favored by Ford Motor Company. Now, interestingly, You know, we see some very prominent leaders, CEOs, and uh, senior leadership within the automobile companies that are saying, hey, there's this silent majority of leadership within the car companies that say, okay, we can develop these products. We hope that there's going to be, you know, technological breakthroughs. We're willing to pursue that hope with our investment dollars and our development dollars, but we're also going to hedge our bets and maintain a strong and viable internal combustion engine lineup as well. And they continue to make those cleaner. The question becomes, you know, is that ever going to be something that's understood by the general population that uh, these vehicles may have the net effect on our climate that's equal? And it's really a choice of drivetrains. Or are electrified vehicles genuinely going to have a breakthrough 
and provide us with the clean air, clean water, just uh, greener climate attributes that are promised. We don't know yet, but we do know this. It will cause dealers to look seriously at their investments in their dealerships and how they value the dealership. You've asked a great question. Are these technological changes that are upon all dealers today being driven by EV principally going to change the value of their dealerships? Yes, they are. Are they going to initiate owners into making decisions on whether they remain in the business or not? Absolutely. And, you know, Elena, that's driven by something that all of us hopefully are going to be able to go through, aging. Right. Lead boomers own car dealerships. Lead boomers own most of the car dealerships in the United States. And those individuals, you know, may have families that are very interested in succeeding and taking over the business. Wonderful. A huge percentage don't. So they're facing a situation of, I'm going to stay in the business. I'm healthy. I understand the business. It's a great business. But I'm going to have to invest one, two, three, four million dollars, depending on the size of my operation. And maybe I have multiple operations. And then I had the hope that there's going to be an available market for these EVs. So EV has great promise and dealers, they don't care what drives the car. They just want to make sure that it serves a consumer best because what serves a consumer best gets purchased. There's a value there. If they doubt that, they are more likely to sell. So exactly. it will drive by sell tendencies. Now there's other things out there. You know, you stay abreast of as well. Technology changes in how consumers are serving up data, how they want to buy their cars. There's going to be a much more fluid relationship between the consumer and the dealer with regards to how information is exchanged and then how that information is managed. And all those tools that are out there that are allowing dealers to command a better data management system is expensive and getting more expensive because Mm -hmm. you have to change people. You have to be able to manage it. And if you're a one store dealer, and your neighbor is a seven-store dealer, and you're having to buy the same tool, well, the economics of scale definitely come into play there. Those kind of decisions are being made as well. Most of us being driven by this transition to EV, though. No, it's so interesting that what you had said about that, and that brings me to consolidation of dealerships. Is this something that you're starting to see now that Almost the line in the sand has been drawn now, right? Would you agree, right? Like, here it is now. This is either jump in with your enthusiasm or get out, right? So are you seeing a consolidation? Uh, You know, how do larger dealer groups look at it? How do maybe smaller dealer groups look at it? Is there a difference? Does it matter? So walk me through your thoughts there. I have yet to talk to one of our larger dealer clients or friends in the business that is not all in on the GM and Ford mandates by brand. They believe that there's wisdom behind it. They're going to pursue them. They're going to make the investments. They likewise, like every other dealer, hope that consumers want and can afford better products and that their manufacturer is providing the better products. They look at it as a necessity. Otherwise, you know, in today's world, the temptation is to become uh, a direct to consumer sales model for any product. And dealers, you know, have a lot of different things that protect them from that happening because of the franchise system. But the reality is it can't keep a manufacturer from doing that should they choose to have a workaround situation. And they want to be value add. And they are today. You know, it's remarkable how dealers are going to be increasingly relied upon by consumers 
for that level of functional operation about their new vehicle because it is new. Everything about it is new. Well, who better to do that than a well-trained car dealer who has a vested interest in their consumer enjoying what they take delivery of? So I really believe, Elena, that the bigger dealer groups are going to be able to maximize this opportunity. Now, it's not to say that smaller dealers can't. It's just going to be on a per unit basis a little bit more expensive for them. Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. And yeah, the reason why I started this entire podcast was EV education, right? And you said it best. It's like a consumer, a customer takes delivery of that vehicle. They want to know that they're going to be taken care of after they grab the keys and they're driving off the lot. They want to know that you know questions are going to come up, right? So it's, again, to your point, value add, value add. So opportunities for 2023. What are your thoughts? If you had a crystal ball... <laughs> You can see the future. I know you're very clairvoyant, JT. Um, What are your thoughts and opportunities for this next year? By the way, some of these mandates sound a little bit like what's happened in the past, where manufacturers wanted to be more intimate with the retail network. And most of those initiatives, well, I shouldn't say most, all of those initiatives have failed for some reason or another. And I think the manufacturers, their biggest opportunity is to provide the products and the services and the opportunity to make enough money at the dealer level in order for them to be excited about it and to build on the inherent loyalty that dealers have to their brand side. You build good products, you put them out at a good price, a dealer can make a good margin or a good fee for delivery, and they don't care who pays it. They're going to take care of that client, and they're going to do exactly what you just talked about, Elena, walk people into something that's new, something that drivers going to believe that they're taking care of the climate, that they're doing the right thing and have an enjoyable experience, not just using the vehicle, but owning it, you know, and being able to maintain it and have a trusted source for information. Now, we all know that the opportunities really lie with a connected car. These are rolling computers and they are already today, even with an ICE, but much more so with electrified drivetrains. They are going to perform and they're going to act and they're going to have the attributes of a laptop of an iPad, of an Apple Watch. We're going to be able to integrate all of our digital life tools into our motor vehicle. It's awesome. It's great. You know, there's just no cutoff. So we're going to be hopefully going to be more relaxed, more productive, more attached to our families, friends, et cetera. And our automobile is not going to preclude us from being able to do that. That's exciting. So how do I do that? Well, I get this vehicle from Ford Motor Company. I've got a you know, Ford Lightning pickup, and I'm able to get in and I'm instantly connected to work because I've got that programmed into my system to my work computer. My work computer recognizes me when I get in the car. And then I'm able to, you know, do business to a certain degree, uh, as long as it's telephonic or, or talk to text and have work done. The vehicle itself is going to have subscriptions about it that I'm going to be paying for, or my firm's going to be paying for, so that I have this utilization of my motor vehicle, and the dealer's going to get a piece of that. That's opportunity. Those subscriptions are a necessity to maintain connection to the dealer, connection to the manufacturer, my connection to my vehicle and my life, digital life. And I understand that. I think if we sat down with our Visa American Express bills across the United States and took a look at how many subscriptions we already pay for, we'd all be a little surprised. I don't want to know. Hear no evil, see no evil. No, I think you're absolutely right. The connected car is just so, so exciting and intriguing. 
And every time I talk to you, I just I get so excited for the future because it's just like, oh, yeah, there's this opportunity and this opportunity. So I love it. JT, we could talk for another, I don't know, hour and a half, but we would probably have to do another episode. So in the meantime, (laughs) if folks want to reach out to you and connect with you, if they're not already, where is the best place to do that, JT? Email is the best place to start. And that is jt.taylor at truest.com. And truest is spelled T-R-U-I-S-T. So jt.taylor at truest.com. Perfect. And I'll also, I'll put that in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for being on the show. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. I will see you at NADA. Yes. Thank you so much for your time. This was amazing. Such great content today. Thank you. Elena, thanks for what you're doing and I look forward to seeing you next time. Tell John we said hi. Oh, I will. Thank you so much for listening to the EVs for Everyone podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and subscribe to the show and leave a five-star review with a comment. We read every single comment, so thank you in advance. If you have an idea for an upcoming episode or you would like to be a guest on the show, go to EVs, the number four, everyone.com slash contact. That's EVs, the number four, everyone.com slash contact. Until next time, Keep charging forward.